as retired, so what does work look like? Others are students looking at the front end of a possibility. The hope is that every one of us in the morning, uh, in the room this morning, would find ourselves aligned under the scriptures, mindful that God has created us uh, with a renewed sense of purpose and passion that our work matters, and that every one of us has a job to do. It's in our home, raising our kids right now as stay-at-home dads or moms, or it's even in, you know, in the retirement community as one person I talked to this morning, or whatever our context is, that God would bless the work of our hands. Well, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for a Sunday to be together, mindful, Lord, in the midst of so many challenges in the world, that you have left your church to be your hope. And so this morning, remind us again of, of your hope, of the power of the scriptures, and remind us too, Lord, that our work matters. Every one of us, the stuff we do with our hands each day, Lord, remind us of the purpose of these days we spend, the value of our vocation. In your great name we pray, amen. Uh, we're going to be looking at a variety of scriptures around this theme of work as a blessing. And for me, uh, when I think back on my vocational track, I was a, I was a, a guy that you know, kind of kept wondering what I was going to do with my life. Uh, you know, post-college, got in a van, drove around the country, uh, wrote a great book about it and published it at Kinko's. You can check it out by coming and seeing me afterwards. Uh, you know, moved to L.A. to work in the film industry. From there, became a high school teacher, moved to Seattle to run a small business, and then just in recent years into the church. So, you know, most of my career has been spent in the marketplace, and believe me when I say that it's, it's you working at work that, that, that God works. I mean, this is a church, I, I hope that this is the ethos of our church, that, that we're equipping and empowering the saints to, to, to be God's messengers in the workplace. And that means, yes, for stay-at-home people right now, that means in the home. For people that are in between jobs, that means even as you search, you're a blessing in the job that you have today as a, as a person looking for the next step. People in the retirement journey, that you're, you're a blessing in that work because that work is fulfilling and God's not, God's not saying that you're to be retired, like you're, you're done. No, God might have a new mission in front of you. And each of us in the room this morning is, is you know, to be encouraged about the value of work. And for me, in those years I was working in the film industry, there was this pier, Washington Pier in Marina Del Rey, right near the production company in which I worked. See, I could tell you I worked in the film industry. That sounds pretty good. Most days it felt like answering the phones and, and working for people that were, were a struggle to work with. So work felt hard. And I would go out on Washington Pier sometimes on the lunch break and I would say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What might you be preparing me for? And these were, these were wrestling matches. These weren't casual strolls. This was me frustrated with God. God, what are you doing in my life? Why does work feel so difficult? And I will confess to you, I missed many days at that job wondering what my next job would be. It's so clear now. I can look back on the years and the jobs and the relationships that God knitted together to bring me to the stage today. And even now, to, you know, understanding that what I'll yet to be is, is yet to be revealed, but understand the fullness of today, you know, God has knit these jobs together. But when we're in settings where vocation feels challenging or feels difficult because of supervisors or because we're not where we want to be or because we want to be here and here and here and we face these difficult decisions, it's challenging. It says, don't wait for tomorrow to be who I want you to be working for me today. 
in every context in the room. And so today as we look at vocation and work, this reality that every one of us in the room, everyone works with different contexts, you know, paycheck, no paycheck, waiting for a different work, we all work. And so God wants us to remind us this morning that, that we are God's handiwork, Ephesians 2, in order to do good work. And God wants to challenge us. Our primary identity is not to be in our vocation. We're going to hear that this morning. And God also wants to empower us that our work matters. You're going to spend 30% of your life at work. Let's make them count. Our big idea this morning is this, that our hope is this morning that God would increase our vision and our capacity to see our work as a blessing to ourselves and to the world. God, make our work work. Let's look at the beginning. What do the scriptures say about the power of work in the creation? In the creation of the scriptures, in the creation of the world, what role did work play? We continue in this four-part part act over and over again in this series that much, looks much like a heartbeat. In the, that God created us one way and then sin entered the world and we've been on this disrupted pattern and then the hope ultimately in Christ won't see to the end and the culmination but it's this four-part act that we keep, keep seeing over and over again. What does God say about the creation of work? At the beginning of time, God works. Now, if you study other you know, anthropological uh, studies of, of creation narratives, most, most deities don't work. Now, other deities and other religion, you know, the God would be sitting on a throne and, and things would just kind of happen before them. But our God in our scriptures, our God works. Listen to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing. God working. Like, not just thinking about the stuff he was, God was working. He, he rested from, from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Genesis 1.31, when God saw the work he'd done, he called it good. Now, in two weeks, we're going we're gonna to be preaching on the other side of this two-sided coin about rest. And about that we're not called to just be human doings, that we are human beings. And for many of us, rest is a more challenging message to receive. Come back in two weeks and make sure you catch the podcast for that. Today, though, we're talking about work. And I need you to know that we're going to also be talking about rest because very often in an evangelical context, people just feel like, gosh, I feel like you're always asking me to be doing. When do I get to receive what Christ wants to do in me? We're going to be talking about that in the weeks ahead. But God, in Genesis 2, before the disruption of sin in Genesis 3, God works. And a couple things you see when you study Genesis 1 and 2 through this lens of work is that work at the beginning was creation and creating and creative. All of our work is creative. Those raising children, those working with spreadsheets, those building airplanes at Boeing, those you know, delivering pizza, those that are students. You know, all of your work is creative. You're creating something every day you go to work. Many of us feel divorced from the creative process. We think that only they are creative because they paint or they write music, but is, is my work at... You know, the, the accountant's office, is that creative? It is. Your work is creating something. There's a body of work. So I ask you, what are you creating with your work? Is there an innate goodness to it? The second piece from Genesis 1 and 2 is this recovery of the notion that the, that the work is good. It's good. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. There is a goodness to work. 
Over and over again in the scriptures, God has this, this, this call for us as his people to, to receive a blessing and then to live into it in the work of our hands. And we see this in Exodus story where, where God says, I'll provide for you. I'll raid manna for you. I'll bring meat for you that complain. I'll give you water. But I want you to work. I want you to go out and gather it. I mean, you think about like the worst camping trip ever, the nation of Israel for 40 years in the desert. They, they had to go out and work to, to get the provision that God was providing. You put a million people in a couple square miles, they probably had to do some work to get God's provision. And of course, on the seventh day, God told them very clearly, on this day, you'll do no work. But many days, God says, your life will feel like work, so make it good. There's, there's God's provision. We can't work without God's blessing. But there's this thing of gathering that's going gonna, gonna to take volition. I mean, many of the critique on, on, on kind of today's youth, that you know, certain kind of insults get levied at, at, at the 20-somethings that they don't know the value of work. Every one of us in the room, we need to be reminded that work is good and valuable. It's what we do. It's what we do. And God says, if you're going to do it, do it for my glory because it, it's good there. There's an excellent book called Every Good Endeavor by, by Tim Keller and another writer, uh, Lenny Osdorf. And, and in it, they kind of they reestablish the beauty of work. The original Latin word for, for calling is vocare, which we use as the word for our root of vocation. So by a very notion, when we say our vocation, we're saying it's our calling. And so I'll ask you, are you living into your calling this morning? People, what's... Well, Hey, whoa, whoa, let's back the train up. I mean, calling is a big word. I'm retired now. How do I live into my calling? I'm, I'm just, I'm in my second job and I'm already looking at the you know, future jobs within the company, within a different segment of the marketplace. Hey, am I living into my calling? I'm not so sure. Today, God says, if you do the work that God sets in your hands, you are, by the very definition of calling, you are living into your calling. And so live into it. It's not to say we don't change jobs. It's not to say that we don't face hard decisions when we have to speak up in the workplace about something not going right or pursue other opportunities. It's just saying that your work matters today. It's your calling. So, so get busy going for it. And let's divorce the idea that only people with certain segments of the population, that they have a job worth a calling and the rest of us just have a job to do. Now, in the book, uh, they, they say that God calls every Christian equally to their work. And then they quote Martin Luther, that it's pure fiction that popes and bishops and priests and monks are called to the spiritual estate, while princes and lords and artists and farmers are, are called to the temporal estate. That is indeed, says Luther, a piece of deceit and hypocrisy. No, yet no one need be intimidated by it for this reason. All Christians are truly of the spiritual estate. And there's no difference among you except that of office, that of our context, that of our job. We have different contexts. We have different office. But we are all consecrated priests by baptism. As St. Peter says, you're a royal priesthood and a priestly realm. And so I want to say this to you this morning. Your, your work in the home, in this classroom, in your retirement, the work that God has given you today your work is a place where great things can happen for God. You just need to be reminded of that and live into it. Your work today 
can be the place where great things happen for God. Well, I'm just, I'm making a sign. Well, then give God thanks for provision. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm just, there's just people I work alongside, and there's one guy, I guess, that knows I'm a Christian, and I, I've prayed for him sometimes. Well, thank you for that. You are the ministers of this church. And I'll say it before, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Nobody cares what your pastor thinks. They don't. They care what you do come Monday morning at 9 a.m. Or for those raising kids, your kids today, they don't care what you think about childhood and adolescence. They care today about your interactions with them. So be present and know that all work is holy work. All work matters. This is, this is what God wants to encourage us. This week I kind of sent a, a feeler out to some of the different men's groups and women's groups about vocation and calling and, and you know, how do, do people feel like the church is equipping to live into their calling and, and, and got a variety of answers. But the biggest thing that I was reminded is men and women that kind of wrote back to us, Scott, we need to be reminded that our work matters. So let me say it again. Your work today your current context, it matters a great deal. Every one of us in the room. Your, your, your vocation is a place where God wants to bless you to, to bless others. This, this last week, I got to sneak away for 36 hours and, and went hunting with my father-in-law and a, a young guy, a, a hunting guide. And we were like, hunt, we were hunting, we were deer hunting, we were walking in the hills of southeast Washington, kind of the Washington, Oregon, kind of place called Wailua Junction. And, and you know, late in the afternoon, we're, 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 we're walking, you know, and we're looking for, for things. We can have the conversation about hunting later, but uh, just stay with me. Like, we're, we're hunting, okay? Like, I love you. Love me. If you don't like hunting, we can talk about it. But we're hunting, and I, I have this, this, this thought because my father-in-law has retired, but he still works for the Lord. He's, he's a good man. And then this young guy who's this hunting guy, like, you know, he's, he's got a spotting scope, and he's just so into it, you know, and he, he lives down in the Tri-Cities, but he's living into his calling. And I, I, later, we, we got an animal, and I end up jumping in the guide's truck to take the animal down to the, to the processing plant, and I, I jump in, and I've known this guide for a couple of years, and I turn on the radio and he's listening to Christian music. He's, he's living into his calling. I got back and I said, how did we never have that conversation before that you're a believer? He said, well, we were always just hunting. It never really came up. But I said, it doesn't surprise me because there's an excellence in what you do, even as a hunting guy that speaks to the glory of God. Every one of us in the room, our work matters. Especially, I want you to continue to engage those you say, well, my, my, my work is retired. So God says, there's different work before you in your relationships, in your adult relationships with children, in your neighborhood. Your work matters. But of course, we live in this disrupted state. It's the, it's the pattern of scripture. It's the pattern of the nation of Israel we see in the Old Testament. The prophets warn against us. The wisdom literature gives us a way to live differently. And we have ultimately the hope of Christ. But we, we live in this, in this disrupted status of work. Where work, instead of being good in Genesis 1 and 2, we see work as toil in Genesis 3 and, and 4. There's this broken picture of work once we're outside of the garden. And we see this really powerful in Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel. Brothers with different jobs. And the different vocations created conflict. 
Much of the root of, of Cain's unhappiness was about Abel's job. Abel was a caretaker of the herds, and, and Cain was a caretaker of the fields, and, and, and Cain got bitter and angry and disrupted. And because of this, he, he, he goes out and he strikes his brother and he kills him. And, and the brother's blood cries from the ground. In Genesis 4.12, God says, you know, Cain, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. And so because of sin, we have this broken picture with vocation as lived out in Cain's life. He, he's restless and he's purposeless and he's wandering. And we're going to hearken to what later the, the writer of Ecclesiastes would say in Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 3. Meaningless, meaningless, all under the sun. Now, yeah, our work doesn't feel powerful anymore. It doesn't feel good anymore. And there's this broken picture. Originally, God you know, wanted us to live in the goodness of our work and that, that there would be hard days and days where we would, you know, we would have the sweat on our brow, but there'd be a goodness. And, and we live in this disrupted state where it's more toil than just work. And we feel restless and we feel wandering. And it, we're mindful of what, what 2 Chronicles 15, 7, where God promises if we work hard and work strong, you will be rewarded. We don't live in such a world anymore. Much of us, we, we, we wrestle for that kind of meaning and wondering what the reward really is. It's, you know, is it more money? Is it a raise? Is it a, is it a different job? Is it working in the home? Is it working out of the home? What is the, what is the reward in which we pursue? We struggle. We know from, from all of the, the stuff in Exodus between Pharaoh and his imprisonment of the people of Israel that it, it's a sin to imprison others. We, we understand that. It's also a sin to see ourselves enslaved by our work. And if your work feels purposeless and aimless and like you're wandering, I suggest you might have a a challenge of identity you're wrestling with. Because we are meant to be more than just the name on our business card. We are called to have work that matters, but understand that, that we have more than just vocation that gives our life value. We have this identity problem if all we are is our, is our identity from work. And in every good endeavor, they say this, that one of the reasons work becomes fruitless and pointless is the powerful inclination of the human heart to make work and its attendant benefits the main basis of one's meaning and identity. When this happens, work is no longer a way to create and bring out the wonders of the created order, as Calvin said, or to be an instrument of God's providence serving the basic needs of our neighbor, as Luther would say. Instead, work becomes a way to distinguish myself from my neighbor, to show the world and prove to myself that I'm special. Babel is a pointed case study of the impossibility of building any collective endeavor, a society, an organization, a movement, a small business, a home that really works unless it's grounded beyond itself in God. What does that mean? Our identity transcends our vocation. Our identity is rooted in understanding a healthy view of vocation, but knowing that we're more than just what we do with the work of our hands. And the disruptive state of, of, our, of our world and our broken picture of work, it reveals two idols that many of us in the room have struggled with in the past. Maybe some of us are in current states where we're wrestling with. And the first idol I want to just kind of hold up to you and say, hey, does this, does this look familiar at all? Is the idol of comparison. As God's people, if we look at it driven to agrarian people, we were to, to work the land that God gave us, 
Not longing to go back to Egypt, not scared to to push on ahead, but in our current context, work the land that we've been given. Don't work others' land. Don't wish that you had someone else's life. Do not compare yourself. The death of much happiness happens in comparison. And the true sin of Cain and Abel that leads to death in Genesis 4 is a murder born of comparison. Cain has this evil in his heart, and before he acts, God says to him in Genesis 4, Cain, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And friends, I submit to you this morning that for many of us, the sin crouching at our door isn't murder, it's comparison, which will cause dissatisfaction in our relationships and dissatisfactions in our vocation. And dissatisfaction because we're constantly stuck in this place comparing our lives to others, our job to others, our our socioeconomic status to others, our our, our social network status to others. God says, work the land I've given you. That's the job I've given you. Don't worry about what I've given them. Work your own land. Do not compare your life to others. And the second idol that gets revealed through this state of disruption is this idol of missed opportunity we're constantly scared we're going to miss out and as a result many of us in the room try to do it all it's it's interesting to say some kind of theology around the incarnation that god himself to bring god into human form he, he made just one christ a man who knew his finite being he knew hunger he knew thirst God didn't clone 100 Jesus. Jesus just was a man. God in human form, but a man. And at the end of his three-year failed public ministry, he left 11 disciples and seven, several hundred others that would call themselves fans. And this is, our, this is our Lord. That's a pretty small business model. But those 11 and those hundreds that he revealed himself, they went out and changed the world. Many of us need to say no to the many to do the one. What has God put in front of you today? Do that thing, God says. And don't be scared constantly of missing out. Future opportunities will reveal themselves. One lady that we surveyed, who's a Bethany North attender, she she talked about the tension of needing to dial back some of her work life because her vocation at at home was increasing. And, And she said she was really wrestling with her identity in this season. But she says now that she's been praying about it and God is showing me new ways to equip others and to live more authentically into who I am. I'm seeing new seeds of vocation in simply being who I am and doing that all the time, the holy in the everyday folding of laundry, the holy in helping others be still and be open to sensing God's presence, helping others create space to reflect God in all, through all. So I submit to you that your calling matters a great deal how you earn a living But before that, our calling is rooted in our identity. First and foremost, sons and daughters of the Most High. Secondly, in primary relationships with other human beings. That's in our marriage relationships, our family of origin, our roommates, the people that God has placed in our field with us. And then third, it's the work in the field. It's the work of our hands. It matters. But not at expense of the relationships that God puts right in front of us. Hey, did I ever tell you guys about the invitation I got to, to go to this special select conference in Colorado last spring? 
It was, it was a pretty big honor. It was optional. I want to make sure I stress that. It was an, an optional conference I could attend. <clears throat> ten pastors around the country, ten uh, parachurch organizations, and we were going to be holed up in this luxury lodge in Buena Park, Colorado. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do some fly fishing one day, great, great food and wine, and dreaming about ways to be a blessing in our city. A couple days before I was set to, to ship out, my family started to get really, really sick. First my wife got strep throat and then the kids and literally as I'm making my reservations to the airport, another kid, three out of four with strep throat. I need you to know something. Typically, I would say, work first. This is an opportunity for me to build my platform. And you guys will be good, right? It's just strep, it's nothing too contagious. I kind of hole up and somebody from church can bring some soup. Like that's kind of was my... That kind of how I rolled a lot. But this time, thankfully, my wife and others kind of said, man, you can't go to that thing. And so I picked up the phone, and I said to the guy inviting me, because it was, it was quite an exciting opportunity. But I said, I can't fly across the country to talk about being a blessing in Seattle and ignore the people in my own home. And many of us in ministry, many of us as believers, we're building an empire of wealth or status. But if it comes at a cost of our primary calling as sons and daughters of the king and in our primary human relationships, it's a sacrifice not worth making. Remember what Jesus says. What good is it to gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? What good is it to amass a job title that is incredible and lose primary relationship where God is putting in front of you? Ask yourself, am I living into my calling with the people that God has asked me to be a blessing to first. And from that place, then we leave the house and go and be a blessing in the world. Ultimately, this brings us to our third point and this point of hope that we talk week after week of hope of one place and one place only, and that's the hope of Jesus Christ. The hope through Christ, we get a new definition and purpose to work on earth. And this could really be its own message because there's so much about vocation in the New Testament. And there's so much about how the, the disciples were fishermen, you know, or tax collectors, and they leave their jobs to follow Christ. And then after Christ ascends to earth, many of them return to their jobs and they get a new identity with their work. It's not like, oh, once we follow Jesus, we just leave our nets, we leave our work. They, they do that to worship Christ and follow Jesus. But the disciples have this renewed sense of purpose in their work. Same with Paul. He has this renewed sense of purpose as a tent maker, as he was going into new places to do the gospel. He kept working, the value of work, to, to, to give credence to his testimony. And there's this thing in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, that's incredibly powerful. Most of the times, we've taught this as a, as a stewardship story, as a giving story, as a money story. But at its root, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, or the parable, as my Bible says, the bags of gold, it's about work. It's about vocation. And what happens in Matthew 25, the landowner, the, the, the business owner, he goes to go on a journey and he takes his three employees and he gives them three bags of gold. And of course, one is five, one is two, one is one. They have different amounts. It's a different message for a different point. But the reality is we have different talents. We have different vocations. We have different skills. Stop trying to live into someone else's story. 
In the story, the, the employees, this is microfinance before it became cool. This is a landowner just saying, hey, angel investor, I'm going to give you some money and see if you can get more. And so the one invests it, and he gives back more, and, and the landowner says, great. And the other guy kind of holds pat. It's like neutral investment, and the landowner says, okay, that's fine. And then the other guy just squanders it out of fear. And actually, you can read it yourself this week. When we squander the gifts that God has given, when we don't work the land that we've been given, invest the talents we've been given, in that story, the guy lost his job, he was thrown outside the weeping and gnashing, I mean, it was horrible. It's not like the guy got eaten by lions out there. Well, that won't probably happen to you, but, but just you know, trust me when I say, like, hey, you've been given something. You've been given something. If you don't believe me, come with me when I do my next hospital visit. Because even your breath this morning in your lungs, it's a gift. And the health that has you sitting in a chair or people listening online, like wherever, you know, people are like, man, I'm listening to you jogging around Edmonds. Like, all right, well, jog on. But know that you've been given some gold. So live into it. And know that your life matters and your work matters a great, great deal. And this is just kind of this renewed purpose the hope of Christ gives us. Paul would talk about this in Colossians 3, that, that our work has a higher value. Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you'll receive inheritance from the Lord as a, as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. And that echoes Ecclesiastes 9.10. that says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For the realm of the dead where you're going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Or how the message paraphrases that, that verse is, whatever is at your hand, do it with gusto. And so every job has something to teach us. So live into where you work now. Hear me very carefully, friends. God values your current work more than your future ambition. God, God values the work you're doing today more than what you might do some day. I wasted so much time in the past wondering what the future might hold. I said, I've given you something today. It's a bag of gold. So make it count. And live into your calling that your relationships are first with God and with others. And from that place, go and do the work of your hand in the home, in your retirement, at Boeing, with your spreadsheet, with your computer, with your practice, whatever it is, do it. And know that it brings value and glory to your God. Ultimately, this is the culmination that we won't know until the end of time where we can get to the end of our story and see where it all culminates. For me, I can look now and say, oh man, those years of running a business and those years of working in the film and working with students at all, it's brought me here, but I don't, it's a mystery. I don't even know where I'm going, but it's beautiful if I keep trusting the work of my hands today and saying, God, make my work count today. This is a powerful psalm, Psalm 90. God, God, bless the work of our hands. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. And earlier in the psalm, the psalmist writes, to teach us to number our days. Like, what if, what if you actually had that? If you knew, okay, you're going to probably go out in a blaze of glory at blank time, and then you knew, I have 3,762 days left. Would that, would that be encouraging or actually kind of depressing to see those days tick by? The psalmist says, teach us to number our days. That we would wake up each day and say, today matters. It's the Lord's day for me to be a blessing, 
And whatever my context of work looks like today, Lord, work in me and work through me. And in my workplace, whether that's in the home or whatever context, Lord, give me these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, give me diligence and give me perseverance and give me hope and give me patience and allow me to be a hard worker. Allow me to be a person of hope in a world that needs to see hope. C.S. Lewis wrote this amazing lecture. He gave a lecture to students called Learning in Wartime in 1939 about the power to these Oxford students to continue their studies even while a world war was raging. And, and Lewis talks about one of the major impediments to people feeling like their work matters is frustration. And we're like, oh yeah, well no doubt. You know? But he's not talking about external frustration. He says much of the frustration we face is internal. Lewis suggests frustration happens not by people at work, by being, what happens is we get obsessed with the end of the trail instead of the next step. Lewis writes, never in peace or war, war, commit your virtue of your happiness to the future. Happy work is best done by the human who takes their long-term plans somewhat lightly and works from moment to moment as to the Lord. It is our daily bread we are encouraged to ask for. The present is the only time in which any duty can be done or any grace received. Do you love that? We all care that our lives will matter later, but today is the only day that we can actually receive daily bread or receive God's grace. And so that's why Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then this, give us today our daily bread today god make my work matter make it matter and so i just i just want to suggest to you just some practical elements as you head into work monday morning with that reminder that nobody really cares what your pastor thinks they care how you're living out the gospel three practical things that i want to encourage you to go into your workplace the first is this pray all the time We as a church undervalue the role of prayer. Get up and over your morning coffee, say a prayer that the Lord would bless the work of your hands today. On the bus into downtown or in your car, take a moment and pray. Set reminders on your phone. Have a friend text you. Leave a note on your computer. Pray all the time that God would do something with you because most of us, we can't, the work of our hands doesn't feel valuable a lot of times day by day by day. Pray that God would give you a vision that your work is making a difference. The second thing is get rooted in the teaching of Christ. Be people of the word. That means, whatever that means, coming in Sunday attendance or podcasting, reading the scriptures, know what the scriptures say so that you have hope to offer. We look at the newspaper now. The newspaper is not our hope. This political reality we live in right now is not our hope. The Seattle Seahawks, though we love them, they're not our hope. The Seattle Mariners are definitely not our hope. Where is our hope? Where is our hope? Like I'm asking you, where is our hope? It's got to be in Christ. And and where do we see that? We've got to see it in each other. Like it's got to, we've got to remind ourselves physically because if we're just, if we're scrolling our Facebook feeds, if we're scrolling the New York Times, we'll forget Our work matters, and God's still working, and he wants to work in us to bless others, and so get rooted in the teachings of Christ. And thirdly, I want to encourage you, see your work as holy. 
If you're here this morning wondering what it is you're doing with your life, see your work as holy, even if you're in between things. You're a student waiting for the next grade. You're in between the next job. You're, you're in a season of, of discernment between certain jobs. See your work as holy and be praying often and understanding the role of the scriptures and then work hard and know the world is watching you and they're seeing what you're doing and may your, your life testify that you believe in a powerful God who does powerful things through us in all conditions Lewis writes in the conclusion of his Learning in Wartime essay, he says, there's always plenty of rivals to our work. We're always falling in love or quarreling. We're looking for jobs or fearing to lose them. We're getting ill or recovering. We're following public affairs. If we let ourselves, Lewis warns, we shall always be waiting for some distraction or other to end before we can really get down to our work. The only people who achieve much are those who want knowledge and do work so badly they seek it while the conditions are still unfavorable because favorable conditions may never come. And so in unfavorable conditions tomorrow, in your home, be a blessing. Pray with your children. Read scriptures to them. Remind them that God is powerful. In your journey downtown or north to Boeing or east to Microsoft or wherever the work is of the hands that you do, and you do some interesting things in this room, may God bless and establish the work of your hands. And may you know that at work you're on mission. Your life is testifying that you believe in a powerful God, and so you're doing your spreadsheet. You're coaching your team. You're making your honey Whatever it is that God has put in front of you, may God bless the work of your hands and have this renewed sense and capacity that God seeks to bless us and bless the world through us. A guy who I like a great deal who goes to this church shared this powerful story with me about his dad. And his dad at his retirement party, 30 years at the same company, 30 years as a refrigeration mechanic, 30 years fixing people's coolant systems, but doing it all for the glory of God. And at his retirement party, these young blue-collar workers were standing there with tears in their eyes saying, you taught me so much about marriage because I was watching the way that you treated your wife. You taught me so much about God because I saw how you treated customers ethically. You taught me so much. He just did the work of his hands every day, and trusted God to knit it together to something beautiful. And we cares what you might do someday. They care what you'll do tomorrow, Monday morning. Your work matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a reminder from the scriptures that our life has meaning and value and how we spend our days working in our vocations in all contexts, Lord. There's just so much value. Let us recover this sense that work can be good. Lord, we pray special favor and encouragement to those in the seats this morning that are in seasons of discouragement. They're between things. They're in retirement when they didn't necessarily long to be there. They're waiting for a next step. God, would you encourage them and trust that even in what they can't see with their current context, Lord, that you're going to bless the work of their hands. Father, will you mobilize us and encourage us to be men and women on mission in every context 
tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. May this message live on. May we be people of hope and grace and mercy. In your name we pray, amen.